Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, we are blessed that you decided to join us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russin. I serve as the host. I'm here with Pastor Frank Friedman. And Frank, our topic on this episode is one we're continuing from last time. It's a very uncomfortable topic because it deals with our attitude. Mm. It was a difficult one to talk about last time, wasn't it? Well, because it meddles in all of our lives. It's easy, I think, sometimes, John, to play the part of a chameleon and do the right thing on the outside, but with a very sour motive on the inside. And sometimes that motive can be so sour on the inside that it it's sour on the outside, too. So attitude is a really important deal. You know, I think God is more concerned with why we do rather than what we do. If I could just give a quick illustration to start this today, it's I bring flowers to Janet and everybody would, you know, all the people around us, oh boy, what a great guy. The Holy Spirit says, why did you do that? And I said, well, I love her. I said, yeah, that's part of your motive. What's the rest of your motive? And well, I want her to love me back. Oh, so you're manipulating. <laughs> Motives are sneaky things, John. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. The, <laughs> talk about our attitude, our mindset, our prevailing disposition. Every one of us stands to profit from a discussion of Father's word and what Father has to say about having the right attitude. So I'm glad you chose this topic. Oh, yeah. It's not been comfortable, but it's one that I've been blessed working on because it's just nailed me to the wall more often than I really care to admit. And mm. we're going to follow up on this topic today, Frank, because we're going to see a bit about why God says attitude is so very important. Of course, attitude means nothing if we don't interface with people. And as you know, our world is a mess and we are surrounded by hurt people, rejected people, people who are criticized, ostracized, condemned. The list goes on and on. They get wounded. And according to Galatians 6, Frank, restoration of wounded, suffering saints is our job. I'll tell you, man, that is a tough job. You've done a lot of counseling over the years, and it's not easy to jump into the deep end of the pool, is it? No, because when people are rejected, hurt, wounded, make bad choices, suffer horrible consequences, there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of shame. They feel very much unlovable that they don't deserve, they're not worthy of being loved. And John, you know, that's only half the equation. The other attempt at restoration is trying to restore those who are doing the rejecting, doing the ostracizing, doing the criticizing, all of those mean, ugly, religious, hurtful people out there. Restoring them Bottom line, to be honest, I don't want to restore them, <laughs> but God does. And he wants to use the likes of you and me to restore them. 
And so this is a very important other half of the equation. I think uh, the body of Christ is very eager to help hurting people. Well, I wouldn't say eager. I think we leave them by the sidelines. But those who do want to help have an easier time helping the hurting people than the ones who are doing the hurting. But that's a part of our mission, too. Indeed it is. And so we're going to look at this aspect of attitude as it applies to restoration. And so Mm -hmm. I want to take a dive into Galatians chapter 6. And as you know, you and I are putting the finishing touches on a commentary on Galatians. And so this portion really caught my eye. I want to begin with verse one in chapter six. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a Mm. spirit of gentleness. Frank, there's a ton Mm. in that verse, but I want to first talk about the word restore. Of course, being the word geek that I am, I looked it up. And it means mm. to fit things together perfectly and return them to full working order. Mm. Uh, and the picture that came to my mind was an orthopedic surgeon mm-hmm. delicately setting the tiniest little broken bone. So mm. this is what restore means. So that's quite an attitude, man, that we've Mm. got to have in order to restore someone to full working order. That's pretty humbling and pretty intimidating. Yeah, it's bigger than us. And that's where we have to remember that he is the restorer. We're the vessel of his restoration. We're the hands and feet of his restoration. And we have to, like he did many times, John, Take the initiative. He took the initiative to come to the broken, hurting people of this world. And so sometimes we have to take the initiative because those people are kind of like a wounded dog. You know, they get under the bushes and they'll growl and snarl if you come up to get them and they don't trust. And so it's something we don't want to attempt without sharing in union with his very restoring life. We don't want to attempt this apart from him. Yeah. That's right, because we will fail. Because how do you mm. approach a growling dog hiding under a bush, as this, this verse says, in a spirit of gentleness? Mm. You know, that's the first thing, because if you come after a growling dog with a stick, mm. you're going to get absolutely nowhere. So this idea of gentleness just jumps out at me from this passage. And of course, my mind runs to Isaiah 42, talking, of Mm -hmm. course, about the Messiah. A bruised reed will he not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will manage somehow, some way, to bring forth justice. So our Father can step into that mess, and he, through his compassion And his gentleness can begin to restore that hurting person. That's pretty amazing. And the more amazing thing is that he will use me. He wants to use me to be involved in that if my attitude is where it needs to be. Wow. Pretty humbling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, John, I just I still can't get over that word picture. You go to a dog with a stick. You're not going to get anywhere. It takes that gentle voice. It takes you getting down 
to their level, speaking softly with words that are like salt, preserving, they taste good. You know, I mean, if I could throw maybe another analogy, people make this big mistake. My mama was the turtle lady in California. Uh, she would actually perform surgeries on turtles and the fish and game department in California would bring her wounded turtles. <laughs> it was quite a thing. And people try to tap on the shell of a turtle. And all that will bring about is a turtle that goes deeper into its shell. And they would say, well, how do you get a turtle out of its shell? You sit in front of it and you just sit there and wait for them to come out. And John, that's a very apt description, I think, of Galatians 6.1. People are not going to trust us until they know that we're there for them and offering ourselves to them. In a, in a safe harbor, an attitude that wants to restore, not condemn. Oh, boy, that is so right. Because what do we talk about when we go see our, our family doctor? Well, what's his bedside manner? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the bedside manner is as important, maybe even more important than his medical skill. And so it is so true. And my Jesus has the most amazing bedside manner. And he wants to express that in and through me. But he gives us in this passage in Galatians, some benchmarks, some issues, some things we need to deal with. In fact, he tells us Hmm. the very last verse of Galatians 5, verse 26, says, hey, don't be conceited. Don't think too much of yourself. Don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. And it continues in Galatians 6, 1, hey, keep watch on yourselves. Make sure you're not tempted to criticize and condemn. Nobody who's suffering or hurting wants you to be a consultant and tell them what they did and why they failed and why there's a problem. They don't want to be psychoanalyzed. They want to be loved and comforted. And so if we go in with a bag full of just knowledge about their circumstance, and that's all we give them, we will never be successful. They will stay inside their shells and will walk away thinking, well, they just don't want to be helped. But the problem is that we came at them with the wrong set of attitudes. Mm. You know, it's interesting, John, you read that passage. It says, you who are spiritual, restore a person who's been caught in the trap. And it's interesting, spiritual. I don't think in the context that that's a reference necessary to somebody who's walked with God for 40 years. I think the real issue is in verse three, uh, this is a person who doesn't think of himself other than he ought to think. (laughs) He doesn't think more highly of himself. I think the spiritual person is the person who realized, but by the grace of God, they would have been the ones caught in the trap and needing restoration. That's right. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Paul continues in verse two of chapter six. He says, bear one another's burdens because sometimes the struggles in this world can be absolutely overwhelming. And what struck me, you know, we wrote this commentary together and it struck me as I was reading this, that Paul never addressed the cause of their burden. It could be their dumb choices. Mm -hmm. It could be their ignorance. It could be they believed lies. It could have been just a calamity, a chance. It 
doesn't matter what happened to get them in the circumstance. He says, you know, if the brethren need help, you step in and help. And you don't point the finger and tell them what they did wrong necessarily or what they failed to do. You just come in and bring compassion and begin the process to restore. Wow, I think I might have mm. to edit that section and add that sentence. <laughs> yeah, you know, John, it's interesting. Their own conscience is already going to convince them of what they did wrong. The consequences are already convincing them that they did wrong. The spirit inside of them, the Holy Spirit, he always persuades us from going down wrong paths, but we did it anyway. These people really don't need to be told what they did wrong. <laughs> they need to be helped out of what they did. And it's a drowning man, and you don't yell at that person, you know, you're drowning. You you grab their hand and pull them out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let me know how it feels to drown. No. Well, Frank, as, as I spent more time thinking about attitude and the importance of having the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, Father took me to Genesis 3. And you and I in our podcast episodes have talked about what happened in Genesis chapter 3 a lot. And we've talked about what Adam and Eve did and what God did. But what I want to talk about today is not talk about what they did or what happened. I don't even want us to talk about what God did and said, but I want us to focus on how he said what he said, mm. how he did what he did. Because when I read through that, Father's attitude just jumped out at me. Mm. Wow, it really did. So let me read through this real quick and then we'll dive in. Of course, we all know the story. The man and the woman ate of the tree. The eyes of both of them were opened, Scripture says. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Wow. You know, mm -hmm. Father could have just run in there as we have done so many times, Frank, you and I. What's going on here? What did mm -hmm. you do? How did this happen? Didn't I tell you not to do this? That's not what he did. Mm -hmm. These two folks did something of their own free will that was terrible. It caused a spiritual disaster for them and for countless billions of other people. And they were in the midst of their consequences. They were naked. They were ashamed. They were vulnerable, Frank. They were desperate, afraid, panicked, confused, hurt, rejected by each other. They're hiding, ready to run as far away as they could. And so look at God's response. Frank, this stunned me. All I saw from our father was tenderness, quiet, calm, acceptance, assurance, comfort, and a focus on restoration. Let's look at this. He says, God came walking. Now, I'd read that a hundred times, a thousand times, maybe. But the idea of walking struck me. He didn't come in a panic. It wasn't a crisis. 
He didn't see it as a desperate scene. He didn't overreact. He didn't have the explosive entry I described earlier. He just came to them where they were peacefully. No summoning, no commanding them. In fact, he demanded nothing of them. He came to where they were. He came to them to give to them. Wow, you know, I, I'd never seen the attitude of God so much as I saw it right here in this little mm. word, walking. Mm. That is a huge observation, Sean. You know, so many people have the mindset that God is uh, up there, of course, watching everything, knowing even our thoughts, according to Hebrews, with a hammer. And like, we're the mops. Remember those little mops and the oh, hammers yes. at those arcade games and bopping us. And what we see here on these pages is nothing like that. Now, he already knew what they had done. He's omniscient. Yes. But he asks, where are you? And it's really a fascinating question, John, because it's a call to them to realize what they're doing. This is not the normal relationship, Adam and Eve, that you and I have. Something's amiss here. And it really in that question, it's a longing for that relationship they've always had. You know what I'm saying? Something here isn't right, and it's going to need to be set right. But that's the attitude, not anger, wrath, judgment, condemnation. Now, he will judge their sin but he'll do it at the cross and there will be consequences for their sin. But his heart is not to punish, but to correct. And again, that's another thought that so many Christians don't understand. God isn't setting out to punish his kids. He's disciplining them, correcting them, bringing them to where they need to be. So a beautiful attitude. I love the way you pointed that out, that it began with walking, uh, yeah. the normal response that God always was functioning in with his kids. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, and he came in, Frank, he came in the cool of the evening. Now, when I read through that, to me, the first thought that jumped out was that he came when the time was right, in the fullness of time, so to speak. Apparently, Adam and Eve had spent some time alone that day without God, and things began to cool down, whether that was temperature or emotional, I don't know. But God certainly wasn't in a hurry. Just like he sent Jesus in the fullness of time, he showed up later on in the cool of the evening because I think he wanted them to have time to digest what they had done, to see what was different, for the dust to settle, so to speak, so mm -hmm. that when he walked into the situation, it could remain calm and peaceful, and he could do what he wanted to do with some cooperative children. Mm. By showing them who he was, let me put it this way, they were able to respond to him instead of react against him and run from him in fear. Rather, they were able to step out of those bushes because he provided a safe attitude, a safe environment. Yeah. Wonderful. And you know, we don't need to overlook the fact that they chose to come out from behind those trees. Mm -hmm. You know, they chose to hide. They might have 
had father responded differently, turned and run the other way. But they didn't. You know, the picture that comes to my mind when he called them, Frank, I remember back reading in Hosea chapter two, when father says, I will allure her, speaking of the nation of Israel, mm. I will speak tenderly to her. And it's only that kind of alluring, tender, mm. compassionate words that will draw out someone who's 95% convinced to get out of Dodge. But that last 5%, Father managed to get a little hook and just to turn their head a little bit so they look at him and see his face. You know, they had to come out from behind the trees. I just picturing this, they're hiding behind the trees. And the first one, he just sticks his eye out <laughs> just a little bit past the tree. What's changed? Is he going to look different? He just had a little bit of faith in, in God. And father stepped up and just was amazingly tender and restorative. Wow. You know, mm -hmm. what a picture, not only of what he did, but what he wants to do through us as we come face to face with people who need to be restored. Mm -hmm. Well, John, I think we need to share with our listeners too the strategy of the enemy. What he'll do is he'll serve up a temptation. And then when you bite on that temptation, he'll beat you up for doing it. He is pure evil. He solicits you and then he condemns and judges and slanders you. He slanders God. He says, God will never accept you again, not after what you've done. So many people in my office who have made that statement in one form or another. I knew after what I did that God would never love me again, or that it would never be the same again. And then they ran from God into more and more sin. And I, I just wish the church had communicated to these dear people over the years that that's not who God is, that when they did that hideous thing, they can run into his arms instead of away from him. And John, I think the only way that's ever going to get turned around in our church culture, the only way we're ever going to get people to understand that they can run into the arms of God when they fail is if we communicate that they can run into the arms of the church when they fail. Because, you know, we're the ambassadors, we're the living letters and again, John, there's just been so many people I've had to minister to over the years that when they failed, the church was harsh and critical and judgmental. And, and then they believe this is the way God is. We can become the first line of restoration if we would have the attitude of our Father and the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is huge. Oh, yes, it is. You know, you and I have talked for many years about how one of the forgotten roles of the church today is to be a hospital. And mm -hmm. I think that will be realized only when people begin to see that their attitude toward those who struggle, regardless of the cause, that's critical. That's foundational for the church ever to pick up that third aspect of their job description, because my goodness, 
uh, Jesus was certainly all about restoring suffering people, wasn't he? Hmm. Yes, sir. And he, this is the part I struggle with myself. He was also about restoring the people who uh, caused the struggle in other that's, people. That's and, right. Oh, when you minister to people who are victims, John, it's very difficult to minister to the victimizers, but they need restoration too. Indeed, they do. Well, my friend, this has been an interesting conversation. It certainly has. It's kind of humbling to me. I think I've used that word three times already this episode, but that's kind of how I feel. Because when I look at all of this that we've talked about, the example of how our father treated Adam and Eve in the garden when they totally blew it, his attitude is in me because he lives in me. That he in me is capable of exhibiting that very same thing. I got to wonder why don't I more often? Mm. Wow. Okay. I'm going to let you answer that question and mm -hmm. wrap us up. Well, I think the more we realize his compassion for us, the more we'll have compassion for others. That's Paul's words in the second Corinthian letter. And you know, John, what makes that letter so important is he says in this letter, I opened my heart wide. It makes me think that the Romans and the Philippians and the Colossians, are they're wonderful books, but they're books from his mind. Corinthians was from the heart. And the first chapter in only the sixth verse, he said, when we are comforted of God, then we too can comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves were comforted with. Uh, that's a great marching order for all of us Indeed. to find the comfort and acceptance and love of God and then minister the same as Christ expresses himself through us. Wonderful. Well said, my friend, and thank you, Father. For friends, you've been listening to Frank and John on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Please check out our website. You'll find us at OurResoluteHope.com. Lots of uh, resources there for you to read through, browse through, and every single one of them has the same focus, to bring your attention on the incredible truth of Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and your life. Follow us on social media platforms. You'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, and our own YouTube channel. And of course, we close with the very same reminder from Hebrews chapter 6, that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. It's a living hope, Peter calls it. It's a blessed hope, Paul calls it. It's a resolute hope, Frank and John call it. So today and always, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.